0: This episode is brought to you by Unblock Your Way to Oneness, the online course that will radically transform intimacy in your marriage. Go to jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash oneness to learn more, claim your special Jewish Latin Princess discount, and see what other course graduates have said about the course. Jewish Latin Princess, episode 115, Replay. Faye Pollock, expert on marital intimacy and creator of Unblock Your Way to Oneness. You're listening to Jewish Latin
1: Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women. And from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And
0: now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, yael You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess, I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. I hope everyone has had a beautiful Hanukkah so far. Happy last day of Hanukkah, I guess. I know that with all the anti-Semitic attacks recently, we're also feeling a bit, un- a bit unsettled. At least I am, to tell you the truth. But at the same time, it makes us appreciate uh, the importance of our holiday And hopefully the holiday has helped us uh, stay strong, and it also helps us appreciate the importance of our traditions, of our family, and so much more. Really think about what's truly important and hold our dear ones tight and tell them I love them, we love them, etc. I am taking a break this week, the last day of Hanukkah and the end of the fiscal year because... I have family in town, my parents are here, and my son is home from Yeshiva, and he goes back to school this week, so I'm looking forward to disconnecting a bit and to the family time. But I have a replay of an episode which I've been asked about a lot, in fact, it's one of my most downloaded episodes. This, uh, this episode is an interview with Faggy Pollock, expert on marital intimacy and the creator of Unblock Your Way to Oneness, which if you've been listening for a while, you know is one of my sponsors. I've had many listeners take this course online and they have shared with me how much they've benefited, which is great and makes me very, very happy. But aside from that, I wanted to bring Fagy back because it's such an important topic. And even though this interview was done already a while ago, it just it's still so timely, of course. And I think Fagy does a beautiful job of addressing it. Again, it's one of my most popular episodes, most downloaded, and it definitely was one of my favorites. So here you go, ladies. Here's Fagy Pollock. faggy Pollock welcome to Jewish Latin princess thank
1: you for having me this is such an incredible opportunity
0: thank you I am so honored to have you here faggy you are an expert on marriage and intimacy you're the creator of a wonderful online course called unblock your way to oneness and I think you your your field is such a special field of work it's so Um, profound and important in Judaism. I I don't I, there's no way to, I don't have even the words to state how important this is on our scale of of values. And I wanted you to come and talk to us about it today. Because when I found your work, I was just so impressed that you were out there doing it. So thank you for doing this. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Thank you for giving me this incredible opportunity for giving me the stage to empower many, many more women. Thank you.
0: So Faggy you I've heard glowing reviews from friends about your work and um, before we even get into the topic I I have to ask you why did you start teaching women about marital int- intimacy what made you do this was there a tradition in your family from your mother like what what was the impetus
1: <laughs> so the truth is it's interesting that you ask it like that because my father was a Hassan teacher for many many years so I definitely grew up with um with that concept of, of, of teaching about marital intimacy. But I don't think that that was the driving force to what really propelled me to be doing what I'm doing today the way I'm doing it. Uh-huh. I think what really made me do this was, and it's kind of funny to say this in the same sentence as saying that my father was a Hassan teacher, was that unfortunately, I did not have adequate preparation when I came to my own marriage. Mm-hmm. Being Kanai the oldest of a large family, my parents, um, you know, they were marrying off their first daughter. They didn't know much. And, um, I I found a college teacher that I thought I was happy with. And only a few months into my marriage did I start to realize that, that something's amiss and the minor struggles turned into major struggles. And of course, I'm not going to go into detail because that would not, you know, because of privacy and modesty and all, but you know, each and every woman listening to this podcast can use her imagination. And it took me years literally yeah years to realize that perhaps all i was missing was very very basic information whether in the form of torah's correct perspective to marital intimacy or whether simple facts like anatomy you know Mm -hmm. or how the hormones work or how men and women are different and thank god that my father who is a chasen teacher i remember we had one drive together when i was engaged he drove me to a friend's wedding and in that car ride we spoke very openly which my parents thank god always did we, i grew up in a very an open home where these issues were never taboo and very very easily um, you know spoken about and and, and conversation was always welcome and thank God for that one conversation that I had with my father because it's not for that conversation I don't know where I would have been. What did but he say? So when it came, he basically just shared with me Torah's approach to intimacy and how beautiful this is, and, uh-huh. and just you know, it was more it was more Torah's perspective than the actual practical how tos. You know, keeping in mind that he was a man teaching Chassan and he didn't necessarily have experience te- teaching young Kalas, right? Right. So I think the information that I was missing was more Kala geared information and I didn't get that and um, after the wedding when I started having trouble I, I, I knew that I shouldn't go speak to my parents because you know everyone says oh you shouldn't talk to your parents about these things I don't know if it would have been right in my case. Maybe I should have opened it up with them earlier. Maybe they could have helped me. It doesn't matter. It was you know, divine providence and it was meant to be and all those struggles were meant to happen because that's why I so passionately feel how important it is to educate women and teach them the beauty, really the beauty of how Torah approaches intimacy and how everything is in Torah, even anatomy, everything, yes. it's all there. It's all there. You just need to know where to look. And then once I started teaching Kalas. Kala started sending their friends, their married friends who weren't, weren't as fortunate to get, um, hadracha, that, you know, the kind of hadracha that I was, that I was giving. Mm-hmm. And just before I knew it, I got to a point where friends were sending friends and Rabbanim were sending women. And, you know, and Baruch Hashem being first and foremost, a wife and then a mother, I really limited my hours to how many hours a week I was willing to work. And it got to a point where it was like, okay, you know, God, what, what do you want from me? I want to be able to help Claudia Stahl, but I, I want to be a wife and mommy. Right. And then this just, this came my way, this opportunity, you know, of, of going online and doing the course. And what I love about it being online is that people think, Oh, online intimacy. Oh no, that's like, doesn't sound appropriate. Like it's so public. It's so private because each and every woman logs into her own course. And it's so private and mm-hmm. so new because, because it's online. That's what's amazing about it. It's not speaking about intimacy to a group of 200 women sitting in a hall. It's so private. And that's really what propelled me, my own struggles. And then meeting with women for many, many years, also as an EFT practitioner, just be, you know seeing the tremendous, tremendous need, the void, the confusion that so many women are struggling with. And knowing that I have a mission to bring light to that darkness. And that's really what, that's what, that's what, that, that's it. That's the guiding force. That's that fire in my heart.
0: So amazing. And before we even get to the the confusion or the stumbling blocks around this air, area, we met, you mentioned Torah values several times. So I, I know it, it can be, a, a, it's, it's a long answer. It's a, it's a not a simple thing, but if you could maybe, give a lay of the land a little bit for our listeners who maybe are not so familiar with the Mm -hmm. Torah's perspective on marital intimacy. I mean, we definitely have gotten enough information from the secular world. um, And we forget that there's something that our tradition has been teaching us and people maybe might not know it. So can you um, explain to us a little bit? What does the what is the Torah's perspective on marital intimacy?
1: Basically said in one sentence, Mm -hmm. the whole entire sanctity of the Jewish people is dependent on marital intimacy mm-hmm. for the simple reason. I think the Ramban says it, that the connection that the husband and wife have during those beautiful moments of marital intimacy is what will determine the, the quality of the child that's born from that connection. So when there's love and passion and desire and connection for each other, for that oneness, for for that togetherness, for experiencing that wholeness like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when all that's present, Mm -hmm. then the child that's born, that quality of the neshama that comes down is something that we could never, ever possibly fathom. And since Kalal Yisrael is made up of many, many of those beautiful, incredible souls, it's a whole level of creation. It's not just that we're human beings, which is the, the crown, the glory of creation. It's where a Yehudi, it's a whole level above. The whole entire nation is dependent on marital intimacy. And, you know, if you think about that, that's like, whoa, that's like a mind-boggling thought. But that's the truth. Right. So that's first of all that we have to understand that this is the, the essence of the holiness of the Jewish nation. And there's a lot of confusion you know, over this topic of holiness, kedusha, right? We we think that kedusha means flying high with the angels, and here we're talking about kedusha in what we would think to be a very, very physical realm. Mm-hmm. So all that, of course, needs to be explained, and I do that on the free webinar. I offer I, I offer a, a free webinar to any woman who you know everyone's welcome to join and listen. Um, but but just to let's try to do it in a few sentences. Basically, it works like this: as Jews, we know. It's not just like a belief that we have. We know, we know, mm-hmm. we know that God is one. And when we say that God is one, it doesn't mean that there's one God. And then there's the world that he created. It means that there is only one reality, reality. the mm-hmm. reality of God. That's it. What we are living in, what we see, any illusion other than that is but an illusion everything is the manifestation of God's glory. And that's our job. That's our mission as the Jewish nation to glorify that name every step of the way to glorify God's name and God's presence. So if God, who is the ultimate goodness, God, who is reality, God, who created the world and upon completion of the world, stepped back and looked at this wondrous creation and said, lokim es kol asher everything he created, vihinei tov maod, the completion, the ultimate, the, the, the epitome of good. That includes every single part of creation. That includes, of course, Adam, who was created, man, who was created in the image of God. And when we say that man was created in the image of God, that means that every single organ, every single mm-hmm. feeling, every single drive, everything is potentially the image of God if we only choose to use it that way. So, those feelings, those natural feelings of desire between a man and a woman, those feelings of rejoicing in that oneness, the desire for that physical closeness, for that physical pleasure, is all. Coming from that source of godliness and when it's used in the right way at the right time, that becomes the epitome of Kedusha. That is what it's all about. And that realization that there is nothing innately negative or bad about any of God's creations. That's where our emuna and our belief that God is one comes in. Because if we were to believe that there's something negative, that's already, you know, that's already... um, 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 what's the word, drawing from the Christian approach, which believes that, yeah, definitely God created the world. The good God created the world. Of course, we all agree on that. But there's no way that such a physical low world with all these physical animalistic drives, there's no way that that can possibly be godly. Therefore, there must be another evil force somewhere at play and that we know is complete heresy that stands in com- complete opposition to the our, to our Jewish knowledge and our Jewish belief. So by us living a life where on some level we are manifesting that belief that there's something innately wrong about sexuality mm-hmm. that in a sense feeding on heresy, right? Because is nothing innately wrong. This is the epitome of Kedusha. Of course, When it's done in the right way, that means between husband and wife only in the exclusivity of their marriage. You know, all the conditions that need to be there. But there needs to be love and desire as, you know, as I talk about more at length on the webinar, that that is such an important facet and such an important part. that There has to be love and acceptance and willingness both for the woman and the man. Okay, so that's. I would say in short, that's, you know, the very, very, very concise short answer to your question, which
0: usually takes about an hour and a half to explain. <laughs> I, I feel you, like I could drop the mic already because ladies, you came here to learn about marital intimacy and you've just gotten a whole deep class on Jewish mysticism from, I just want to point <laughs> a few things out because the points that you made are so important and it, I, I, I like to highlight these things and you said it so beautifully when we say Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad that the God is one is not that not that there is one God is that there is no other there's no other reality right Right. this is the reality Hashem is the reality and um bringing that out is just such a deep way that sometimes we we miss it in our education and I'm glad you pointed it out and um and just uh, a few other things you said that right now I'm blanking out, but just so many beautiful things right there. Mm -hmm. Now, you did mention the children, the product of the, of intimacy, but Mm faking isn't there also in Torah intimacy just for the sake of intimacy? A hundred percent.
1: That's the main point. The main point is the oneness that's expressed between husband and wife, which is that expression of God's oneness. And it's so beautiful that through that connection, sometimes a child will come into the world, not the other way around. Yes, and when I explain yes. this to my own children, I have already teenagers and, you know, children that are, course, you know, they'll, they'll be getting course. married, get, getting married before I before I know it. So when I discuss these issues with them, I always make sure to first to first draw upon that point of the love and the connection and the oneness between husband and wife. And only then and how beautiful it is that that's where children come from, not the opposite. Not, oh, this is how we make babies. And oh, by the way, this is very, very holy and pure. No, this is Shlamos, this is wholeness. This is oneness. And it's so beautiful that when we're in that moment of oneness, like God, we can also create. And it says in the Svarim HaKedoshim that a couple are always creating, even if a physical child is not born from that connection. But there is something going on on the higher realm of some level of creation just right. because of their thoughts, their emotions, their feelings for each other. But it's just that the quality of child is always a sign of the connection that husband and wife had when they were, you know, when they were together. Now, of course, every child has free will. You cannot go around now saying, "Oh, this kid, oh, this kid struggled as a teenager. Oh, it must be that their parents didn't have a good shell advice. God forbid!" It's not for us to point. Fingers at others. It's for us to work on our own self and our own marriage, because every child has bechira. You can have a child who's born from a union where there's so much love and so much closeness, and that child has free will. And for whatever reason, they have to go through the nisyonot in their life and and glorify God's name in their own way, right? So it's not right. to point fingers at others, but the svar makedoshim use this idea of the quality of the child that's born to show of of the quality that of of connection that was going on during during the connection between husband and wife. I hope I made myself. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. So ladies, you heard it here first, there is in Torah, in Judaism, there's intimacy for the sake of intimacy. So if you ever thought that, you know, Judaism is all about just baby making, well, no, you heard that somewhere where they were being misinformed um right, in, right, in fact right. in fact just by the act of being intimacy and having a healthy relationship with your husband in this area you're bringing the Shekhinah, the highest level of hashem into this world i mean it's a very- yeah in fact you know i'll add
1: to what we were saying before it the the the, the love of god for his beloved nation call yisrael is expressed in the in the in the Kodesh HaKadosh, in the holiest of holy, holies. that's the holiest place in this physical world. Right. And that's expressed how? Through the Kruvim. The Kruvim mm-hmm. was the image of a male and female embracing in a very, very intimate post. Kizakhar Hachovik Asana Keva, like a male embracing a female, facing each other, panim al panim. True intimacy is always face to face where I could see the other person. I could see him. That's true intimacy. And that connection between the kruvim is God's way of expressing. His 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 whole and 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 overwhelming love for us that we will never quite fathom. So if that's the holy of holies in the Beis Hamikdash, that's the holy of holies in your own home because exactly. your own home is the mini Beis Hamikdash.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, so, Faye,
1: yes,
0: you, let's say we we've grown up with this or we've learned it and we get it. You know, intimacy is holy. It's 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 an the most important part of our marriage. Um, And then it could happen that, like you mentioned before, reality hits in their marriage and a woman finds that, you know, they don't enjoy it or they experience pain or they're lacking in desire, whatever the issues might be that, you know, that can happen. And that could... That could come with tremendous feelings of guilt because, you know, Mm -hmm. shouldn't I treasure this? Isn't this holy? Isn't this supposed to be the ultimate in Judaism? Like what's wrong with me? Right. So talk talk to me about that. Okay. So first of all, the most important thing you
1: were saying that like the most important part of our marriage is, is, is the intimate relationship. I would like to rephrase that just so that there shouldn't be any misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. The most important thing in marriage is oneness. Yes, being one with each other. Okay, That oneness is also expressed physically. And when that oneness is expressed physically, as it should be, then yes, that is where the Shekhinah rests. And then, you know, the Maharal says that, and the Zohar says that, and many other sperms say it. Beautiful. But the most important thing is the oneness. And I think that just this alone, mm-hmm. you know, anyone... Should just first of all absorb that because very often women feel guilt because they'll hear this very very inspiring sheer about how marital intimacy is where the shechina is and then if they're going through a rough period and they look at all the other parts of their marriage which maybe no perfect because ain't, ain't ain't no perfect marriage right no one right. has perfect marriage but good enough and there's friendship and there's happiness and all of that so they'll kind of like um, diminish. The, the greatness of that. And that's not good because we have to be able to step back and say, first of all, wait, is there oneness in this marriage? That's the most important thing. And yes, on a fairly regular basis, this oneness should be expressed physically and the woman should enjoy herself. We'll get there in a minute. But that's first and foremost. There should be oneness in that relationship because a couple can have a very, very passionate, intimate life and there could be no connection. Mm. That's not the crucial that the Svarim HaKadoshim are talking about. Right. You know, that's, that's not that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when it's passionately loving and when there's desire and arousal within the realm of oneness. Okay? So that's first of all. That's what Torah values is the oneness of the couple. Like we give a chasen and kala under the chuppah of bracha, that they should rejoice. They sameach to that God should make them happy and they should rejoice. Beloved friends, that they should always be beloved to each other like best friends. So that's, that's where we start. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now for all the women out there who are struggling and there are so many women, yeah, so many women. And, and, you know, even if a woman is going to hear this, this interview and she'll walk away feeling normal that she's struggling just for that, it's worth it because very often these struggles are so personal and so not spoken about And, you know, we can argue if it's rightfully so or not, okay? I think there's a difference between talking sneistically and not talking at all, and I think it needs to be spoken about, you know, in a modest way, but to not talk at all is dangerous. But, you know, a woman may not know where to turn, and she may feel uncomfortable, and she may feel a lot of shame, and who am I going to, you know, who am I going to open this up with? So very often, women suffer in silence. So women should know that this is an area, because it's so complex, and this has to do a lot with Adam and Eve before the sin, and then after the sin, after Gan Eden, right? So all of that I talk about more in the webinar, and it's fascinating, but we have to understand, and Rav Aryeh Kaplan says it in his book, The Waters of Eden, if anyone has it, they should open up the book and read it, and if not, they should order it in the chapter called The Holiness of Sex, and he says over there beautifully, he says that one of the outcomes of that original Chet of Adam HaRishon was that we have this very complex relationship with sexuality. So we have to understand that this is a system that involves a healthy relationship between me and myself, between me and my spouse, who must also have a healthy relationship between him and himself Mm -hmm. and between us together and God. So we're talking here about a very, very complex tapestry.
0: So many layers, layers.
1: Exactly. So it's so common to struggle and it makes sense to struggle okay so everyone should know that it makes sense to struggle in this area because this is where a lot a lot of work is going to happen in the marriage so first of all breathe a sigh of relief right it's normal to struggle and it's okay to struggle as long as we don't let those struggles get in our way of just keeping on moving forward i always like to sign off my emails to the women you know in my community wishing you an ever-growing marriage i love it to be like the most important thing, as long as you're growing, that's what God wants from us to always be growing.
0: You know so I, for women out there, yes. I heard you say once that and I really like this. I heard you say just because something is natural doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. easy. And I never thought about it, but you're right. so right. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It kept me, you know, it kept me going through some
1: really tough. You know, rough patches in life. Just because something is natural doesn't mean it's easy. And yes, marital intimacy is so natural, and we want to get back in touch with that natural part of ourselves, that innocent, young, playful where there's no inhibition. But that is a process that takes time. So for women struggling, they really have to first identify where they're struggling. And in the course I've created, Unblock Your Way to Oneness, I divide it into um i give like two options of how you can divide your marriage and then you could decide where the struggle is really where you're coming face to face with the struggle so first of all there is the physical level of like we said pain exhaustion lack of desire pregnancy nursing on the pill menopause right there are so many physical things <laughs> that cause a woman like the moon sometimes we're in full glory and sometimes you can barely see the moon right that's a woman a woman is mm-hmm. like the Libana, like the moon okay so that's on the physical level then we have emotionally because for us as women intimacy is so intertwined with with our emotional state so Maybe I'm empty emotionally. Maybe if that emotional emptiness, that void, will be filled, then suddenly I will get in touch with that natural desire of the le tishu kastech that a woman will naturally desire her husband. So that's the emotional level. And then the third one is the spiritual, and the spiritual, I you know, kind of like spiritual slash hashkafa, which means Torah out, you know, Torah view. If for any re- for whatever reason, it could be from society, from family, something that we picked up somewhere. If for whatever reason we're struggling, even on a subconscious level, yeah, L right. Mm-hmm. We can have all the answers in our head, but if on a subconscious level, we're struggling with a conflict regarding sexuality, with, um, feelings of guilt or shame or sin, or, you know, all those negative emotions that we may have, it'll be very, very hard for a woman to just relax and let go and be receptive to pleasure, be receptive to giving herself over to receiving and giving back and forth this flow of love and energy. So those are the three levels. So if a woman really has to identify, first of all, where is her struggle when she, when she, you know, enters that holy of holies, right? To become one with her husband in the bedroom. What's holding her back from just being like those Kruvim, just melting in her husband's arms? What's mm-hmm. holding her back? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Or is it and, and more spiritual? Okay, so that's a question a woman has to ask herself. Another division that we can help to define would be imagine your marriage like an apartment, like a house. So we have the living room, the bedroom and the kitchen. The kitchen is any technical aspect of our relationship together, raising the kids, managing a budget, who does what, who goes shopping, who who cooks, right? right? Then we have the living room, which is like the more friendly part of our relationship when we sit on the couch and we schmooze and we just, you know, we go out for coffee. And then we have the bedroom, which is the intimate part of the marriage. So very often when a woman is struggling in her marriage, so she thinks that it's a bedroom struggle, but really it could be a kitchen struggle. It could mm-hmm. just be that she's so frustrated at how her husband manages the finances, and that's really getting in the way. So it's not really a bedroom struggle. It's a kitchen struggle. So we've got to go in the kitchen and fix that up if we can. And, you know, I listened to that wonderful um, podcast you had a few weeks ago where you spoke about a money date, and I love that going with your husband on yes. a money date, not just like always talking about money. And I love that. I shared that with my husband. I said, you know, I realized after that interview that we talk about money so much, like, let's just do it once a week, over a cup of tea. I, that was great.
0: By the so, way, it creates such intimacy. It, it really does. <laughs> that's so beautiful.
1: So instead of it creating stress, that's so beautiful. I love it. I love it. So that's like another thing, just like defining where the struggle is. And then of course, committing to getting help and not being bashful to reaching out for help. So whether it's enrolling in an online course or speaking to a beloved Robinson who can help you or sitting down with your husband and having a conversation or going together to the rabbi and asking your questions, women have told me that just for that alone, it was worth doing my course because I so enthusiastically encourage them to go find a rub that you can ask your questions to. And so much anxiety just lifts poof. It disappears when you sit and ask a rub because the rub wants to help you. He wants to guide you in that direction of more love and more connection and things that you might think for sure, for sure are prohibited. You'd be shocked to find out are okay or, or, or okay. Sometimes speak to a rub, find out. Don't just assume that something is prohibited. So that also can create a lot of stress. So if it's pain, go make an appointment. Finally, you've been married for five years and intimacy always hurts, okay, so go finally and speak to your OBGYN. Maybe she can send you to someone. There are conditions today that have real names and real diagnoses and real treatment, okay? So very often it's true that the treatment for pain does involve also the emotional. I do this as an EFT practitioner. We we don't only work on the Physical aspect of pain, but we work on maybe some trauma that's involved. Maybe a colleague who wasn't adequately prepared for her wedding. Maybe the first time she was with her husband was very, very painful, and she never really took care of that. Whatever it might be, she had a horrific birth, and she tore. There's so much trauma that can happen in such a sensitive part of the body. So, so take care of that, right? And if it's a matter of you're just feeling angry about your husband, and you're you're lacking a sense of friendship, so learn how to request what you need to feel full in the relationship, and 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 go for ice cream together once a week, or. You know, play a fun game with each other. So, to to on the one hand, to realize that yes, it's true that we want to get to that place where intimacy becomes pleasurable and pleasant on a fairly regular basis, but not to make it that that's the only goal in marriage. It's something to work towards. And instead of there's a great there's a great quote in Hebrew. Um, I'll say it in Hebrew. Maybe you'll help me translate it. Mm-hmm. Um, like don't look for the for the way to happiness, but the happiness that's along the way. way. So it's the same, Mm -hmm. right. So you want that to be a goal and it should be a goal, but it shouldn't be a goal that overshadows everything that you don't see the good that you do have in your marriage. But yes, you should take care of it. If there's pain, you should take care of it. If you're never, ever, ever, ever in the mood, yes, you should take care of that. But without the guilt, you don't need the guilt. Guilt doesn't help you. Just as a goal to work towards and kind of like it'll keep you moving forward, you know?
0: Marital intimacy become the source of emotional pain, tension, and frustration. Or do you just sense there's more to gain from this special part of marriage, but you don't know how to get there? I may have the answer for you. It's called Unblock Your Way to Oneness. This is a course that can transform your marriage. When marital intimacy is a struggle in any way, all other aspects of your marriage become shadowed by the frustration of a disappointing relationship. If not addressed, struggles with intimacy can become bigger and deeper over time, but it doesn't have to be that way. Unblock Your Way to Oneness is the clear, thorough course that will take you on a transformative journey so that you you can have a satisfying, fulfilling, and joyous, intimate bond with your husband. Head over to jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash oneness to learn more and to claim your special discount today. That's jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash oneness. I love this so much because I feel like um, so much of what you're teaching is that there is so much that is not just what happens in the bedroom. Um, What happens in the bedroom has so much to do with what's happening in your marriage outside the bedroom. And so we need to take care of that. And then that could help us improve what's happening inside closed doors. Right.
1: And it's not even what's happening in the marriage. I would say first and foremost, what's happening between you and yourself.
0: Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: it's like just like you should have that weekly date with your husband. You should have that weekly date with yourself mm-hmm. and you should learn to just look in the mirror and smile and love what you see back and compliment yourself and fill yourself up. You know, because if you're an empty hole, then your husband can do everything right. He can press all the right buttons and right. nothing. Else. And I don't only mean physically. I also mean emotionally Right. So we as women really have to take responsibility for our own happiness and our own sense of well-being to a very large extent, and not only dependent on our husband. And, and um, that is
0: such and, a, that, that in and of itself is such an important point that we have to take responsibility for our own sense of happiness and happiness. And it's not dependent on our husbands. And it's not dependent right. on our children either.
1: Exactly. A hundred percent.
0: A hundred. Let's talk the big word pleasure. You mentioned it several times. And yeah, um, There are, as you said before, and it might come from the fact that we've been immersed for so many years in other cultures and other religions, but there are misconstrued notions about the concept of pleasure. Can you address that a little bit?
1: Yes, we have a very, very conflicted relationship with pleasure. And we have to remember that at the most basic level, God created the world to give us pleasure, period. Mm hmm to give us pleasure and i heard this from a very very khashiva person he's a big mechanic here in Eretz yisrael and he said this in the name of Reb. i think um the altar from kelm i think he said it mm-hmm. he said that um i don't remember if it's in the messi last maybe i don't want to misquote, so i'm not sure but in one of the the, the basics the that every jewish home has in it it says that the world was created um, in order to bask in the pleasure of God's omnipresence, and he, I remember, like he was giving a class to mothers, and he was trying to impress upon us the importance of teaching our children pleasure in their service of God. Hmm. And he said, "If you do not know how to teach your child," to just enjoy the regular, natural pleasures of life, you will never be able to teach him how to bask in the glory of God. And if you as a mother don't know how to enjoy the day-to-day pleasures of living, there's no way that you can ever teach that to your children. And he went back to that quote, and he said that the world was created to bask in God's glory, in that pleasure of his glory and his omnipresence. The way it should be read is lehisaneg, comma, pause. The world was created in order to be a place of pleasure. Then continue reading on, that yes, the pleasure should ultimately be the pleasure of God's presence. But the only way to get there, the tools which we were given, in order to get there, was our physical experience in our physical body with our physical drives in this physical world. Right. So it's true that we are pleasure seekers and we are meant to be, but we have to realize that the ultimate pleasure the more a pleasure is fine-tuned and delicate, the higher the higher that pleasure. I mean, this is also true with food. You know, there's the pleasure of just like, a you know, a bowl of chocolate chip cookie dough. And then mm-hmm. there's the pleasure of the developed palate of foods that are delicacies that you have to develop a taste for. But once you do develop a taste for them, you cannot compare the eating pleasure to that pleasure of just eating like simple chocolate chip dough, right? You know, right. or just like which, So the idea is that we should constantly be seeking finer pleasures. And since the finest pleasure, the most whole pleasure, and the most satisfying pleasure is the pleasure of connecting with God himself, God being the ultimate good. God wanted to give us the ultimate good, meaning God wanted to give us God himself. And that experience that we can have of connecting to him is the ultimate pleasure. So that's the direction we're moving in. But the only way we can get there is if we know how to live in this world, in this body, live correctly. And we see this so clearly from the mitzvah of Oneg Shabbos. The mitzvah of Oneg Shabbos, you know, we don't sit around the table and pass around chumashim to everyone. We sit around the table (laughs) and eat delicacies and we make yummy, delicious food. And and Rashi says that the neshama yaseira, that added element to our neshama on Shabbos, is the ability to eat more food without feeling Ugh, you know, stuffed and and like you can't eat anymore.
0: Right. So there
1: is a lot to be learned. And this is something Yael, that I'm always, always learning more about and always um, praying to God to send me more and more eye-opening sources to learn this more and implement this more in my life. The realization that living is pleasurable and we don't need to seek these crazy pleasures outside of, you know, outside of who knows God knows where the pleasure of just waking up in the morning of breathing, of feeling, of feeling that touch of your delicious baby against your skin, of feeling how good it feels to take a warm shower of delicious, yummy food. And then of course, the very, very high level of pleasure of connection between husband and wife, because it holds such a potential for, for, for oneness and for spirituality. That's why the pleasure there is so much greater OK, yeah. So, you know, it's time that we it's time that we I feel like it's a sense, you know, it's um, I call it going back to the Garden of Eden or going back to the Kodesh HaKadosh and going back to that whole experience of what, you know, the way God intended the world to be that we are able to live and fully live with vitality with right. with with happiness with with pleasure the pleasure of day to day life and realizing that the pleasure and the connection between husband and wife is a very 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 important facet in that connection to the extent that the sarmacodians say that the more Ta'avah, the more desire there is in that relationship. And when we talk here about ta'avah, we're not just talking about the physical expression of that desire. We're talking the desire for oneness, for wholeness, yeah, for which is expressed physically, right? So, yes, it's a very, very arousing experience in the body, and it's meant to be. But when that arousal is used within the realm of husband and wife loving each other and, and giving to each other and receiving from each other and becoming one again, that they're two halves of one soul, become whole once again. That pleasure becomes kodesh kodeshim. Okay. So I feel like for women who struggle with pleasure, don't start with trying to learn, you know, pleasure inside the bedroom. Start with outside the bedroom. Start with learning once a day to stop, practice presence, eat an apple just feel it in your mouth. Victor Miller writes a lot about this. Anyone who wants to look up his sperm, he writes a lot about that experience of learning to live in Olam that and appreciate it and have that hakaras Hatov to our creator for giving us such a beautiful world. And I think the key to pleasure is presence. Learning to be very, very, very present and in the moment and in the experience and not letting our mind wander, which for us as women is a very, very big struggle because our mind, you know, everything is connected to everything. And learning mm-hmm. to just present in the here and now, you will discover pleasures like you could not imagine. You'll discover the pleasure of the sun. You'll discover the pleasure of a bird chirping. You'll discover the pleasure of playing with your children. You'll discover the pleasure of music. You'll discover the pleasure of aroma. You'll start to live. You'll start to live. You'll start to shine. I call it slow, flow, and then you'll glow. And that glow is so attractive to anyone, especially to to your husband, when you have that glow to you, you're so attractive.
0: I love that slow flow and glow. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. You know, it's it's almost like the Jewish ideals have become so contaminated. And we've forgotten how what you just said is so fundamental that physicality and spirituality are not mutually exclusive in Judaism. In fact, they should they go be hand one in hand. and the same. They go hand yeah, in yeah. hand. That's what God wants. God yeah. wants us to be spiritual in this very physical yeah. world, to interact no. with the physicality in a very yeah. profound way. Yeah. It's, uh, we have to go back to that and, and just remind ourselves constantly and know that that is Judaism. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. A hundred
1: percent. It's not pursuit of the pleasure for the name of pleasure. It's the pursuit of godliness and pleasure is a big part of that.
0: Yes. So, Figgy, um... We mentioned before, um, during our conversation and something that I'm wondering about that someone might say, you know, marital intimacy for whatever reason, it just kind of didn't work. It's not working, but you know what? I have a great relationship. Really? I have other things that I appreciate in my spouse and, you know, we communicate okay. And he's funny and I'm funny. We enjoy each other's company. So let me just focus on what's working Why is this attitude dangerous? So
1: I think it's first important, you know, whenever women come to me and they, and they share this, I say, well, one second, let's define when you say it's not working for me, it's not my thing. If you're going to tell me that you never, ever, ever, ever have marital intimacy with your husband, and you're never together, and when you are, you never enjoy it. Okay, so now, you know, we have a problem. In a minute, we'll discuss why that's a problem. Okay, very often, it could be that there's maybe a gap, the husband wants it more, The wife wants it less. Their style is different, how it's going to play out in their marriages. You know, they they have a different approach of how it should play out in their marriage. So they look at it as it's not working for me when really it might be working very, very well. And just what needs to be adjusted is the quantity or the style or there needs to be more communication, whatever it might be. So that's first of all, when someone says that it's not my thing, what does that really, really mean? Okay. So that's, I think, uh, you know, a, a personal question that every woman has to ask herself. If she feels like it's not my thing. What does it mean? It's not my thing ever, 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 or it's not my thing because I would like it done differently, right? Mm -hmm. You know, women will often share with me that, you know, you know, they'll say, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed to, to, to admit, but like, you know, I, I'll watch movies or I'll read, you know, romantic novels. And, and yeah, I definitely can feel feelings of arousal. I know I'm capable of feeling that. So why don't I feel it with my husband? So for a woman like that, it's not that marital intimacy is not her thing. Thank God her body's working well and her hormones are working well. And she just has to learn how to feel those feelings with her husband and not, you know, and not expressing those feelings outside the marriage That's again, that's back to what Kedusha is in marriage. So it's not that marital intimacy is not her thing. It's that for whatever reason in her marriage right now, this isn't working. So that needs to be adjusted. Mm -hmm. Um, If a woman says, I never, ever, ever, ever felt any sexual arousal. Okay. So again, if this is a value for you, then go speak to your doctor. Maybe there's a hormonal imbalance. Maybe there's something you could do. Maybe there's, you know, you could take uh, some kind of, you know, testosterone replacement. There's things that women can do to help themselves. Maybe you just need some emotional um, you know, skills of how to communicate with your husband, whatever it might be, as we said before. But this is a dangerous road to take when a woman just kind of like checks out and decides that it's just not her thing. Because at the end of the day, um, what makes a marriage into a marriage, what makes it different than just the friendship, different than just two roommates, raising a family together Mm -hmm. is at the end of the day, the physical intimacy. Like it says in the Pasuk, you know, a man after Adam was created, he said, you know, and therefore a man leaves the home of his parents, he shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And it's interesting, in another place, the Gemara refers to a person before they get married as a plag gufa, a half a body. It's not only that his soul is incomplete, it's that his body is incomplete. Yes. So there's about that physical connection between husband and wife again provided that it's done the right way that it's you know they're both appeased and they both desire and it's, it's they both rejoice in it and all the conditions that need to be there but at the end of the day that's how god designed the world and commanded us in the torah that at the end of the day that's what makes the marriage you know in fact right after torah was given the one and only thing that god said to his beloved Klaal Yisrael, who just stood under I was, go back home to your tent. Mm-hmm. Says Rashi, go back home to Simchas Ona, to the joy of being with your wife. That is at the end of the day what makes you complete. That's what will make this incredible experience of Kabbalah's Torah complete, when you could now become one with your wife. So to just decide that, oh, this is a, yeah, we, we don't need this in our marriage, that's very dangerous because that will eventually backfire and really you know you'll veer off course and you're not going to end up where you should end up as a husband and wife so it's important to um be committed like i said finding the finding the happiness along the way not letting the goal of getting there get in the way of enjoying what you do have and it's great that you have a great marriage and all but yes this has to be something that you need to invest in and learn and learn how to make it better in your life, more present and better. And I just want to add here something that I heard said in the name of um, a very prominent sex therapist here in Eretz you know, very well known in the From community, uh, you know, an Erelikha person. And he said, he said, um, marital intimacy, what were the words he said will be, it should be, it should always be good. Sometimes it'll be great. And I think that definition is very good because I think sometimes we expect, you know, wow, we heard this inspiring sheer. Kodesh Hashim, Kruvim. Okay, from now on, it's going to be passionate. There's going to be fireworks every time. No, 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 no. Sometimes it'll be very sweet and loving. Sometimes it'll just be like a quick gift we give each other. Sometimes it'll be you know, like a homemade meal with five courses. Sometimes we to go away on vacation and it could go on for hours and hours. And that connection is so incredible and so spiritual. And, and it's like the whole world ceases to exist in that moment of glory. And sometimes, sometimes it'll be frustrating and you'll cry afterwards. Okay. But as long as on a fairly regular basis, that's why I like to use the word fairly, fairly regular basis. It's good. And sometimes it'll be great. That means that you have a healthy, intimate relationship with your husband. We're not looking for perfect. We're not looking for always, okay? We're just looking for healthy. We know that we can get there. We know that we have what it takes to get there when we invest our time and energy and our ingenuity and our creativity. So that's like another thing I think is important to keep to maintain that balance. I love it because it's so real.
0: (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's just so real. Figgy, I feel like you, when you teach women, you're very genuine and real. And I just want to ask you when women are learning, perhaps in the online course, um, how open do you get with your students? How explicit should people expect the learning to be?
1: So again, explicit, I think is very relative. As far as I'm concerned, I am 100% plus explicit, meaning I don't beat around the bush for anything. I say it like it is, I use names, I use name of body organs. I don't, you know, uh, you, you, you know, you know what I mean. Like, no, there's none of that. It's all very, very clear. And actually when I begin the class where I do speak very, very openly about anatomy and biology, I, you know, I, I, I like to start like this I say, you know, if you were learning how to be a midwife and you were sitting in a, an auditorium full of students and the professor walked in and they're now going to teach you how to perform a pelvic exam when a woman comes in labor. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the professor says, well, um, yeah, women, you know, come on, you're we're, we're all women in the room, right down there. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. So you just get yeah, that. Yeah, right. Uh, when you go no. home, you look at a book. <laughs> no, I, I, you would not want to go check, be checked by such a midwife. Right. No. Of course. Mm-mm. She puts on that picture, huge, right on the wall. Everyone can see it. She describes this is this, this is that. It's exactly the same thing. I'm teaching you as a woman how to understand your body and love your body and appreciate your body and marvel in the niflos habore of your body and understand your husband's body and all those negative experiences that you may have had till today, replace them with positive ones, with the curiosity of a little child discovering their body for the first time. Beautiful. I don't beat around the bush. I make it so clear. Right. And this is all Niflos Habari. In fact, the parts of our body that are that we resemble the celamelo Kim most is our mouth where we speak which is like God yeah. who speaks. Speech. And the reproductive organs, external and internal because right. that's where we create. That's the center of creativity. Not necessarily creating babies, but just creativity. Right. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. And yes, it's definitely nice when we can use, you know, what what, what the Torah calls alashonikiyah, not to use direct names. And I agree that alashonikiyah should be used whenever possible. But when you're learning and you have to make things very, very clear, I believe that it's more important to use clinical terminology. You know, I don't use any playful terminology. Every couple will develop their own sweet language of what's playful for them and what's arousing for them and what makes charm and chen in each other's eyes. So I don't use any playful language. I don't use any cheap language. But I say names. I say facts. I, You know, I. it's very clinical, but very, very explicit diagrams and all. So, yes, it's very, very open. And women can ask any question you know, I, I, nothing, nothing I don't think can knock me off my chair anymore. I've been <laughs> doing this for so many years that really I want women and I want the calls that I teach to feel very comfortable to ask anything and everything. And I always say, if I don't know, I'll find out for you. I'll say, I don't know. I'll try to find out if, you know, we'll try to find someone together who can help you. I'm not afraid of saying, I don't know. I'm always learning myself. I don't know all the answers and I'm very, very comfortable with the topic and I'm very, very comfortable giving it over that way. And of course, that's only in the course. If I'd be sitting on the park bench talking to a friend, I would never talk like that because that's not the time and place. Exactly. But in the course, I feel that this is my mission and this is my calling. And it's so important to be open. And women often you know, write back to me. And then I, when I get this feedback, I know that I did my job the way Hakadish Hu wants me to. They say, You are so explicit and so clear and yet so refined. Like, how do you do that? You know, and I say, That's pure siyata dishmaya. So, you know, if anyone would join the course, that's what they should expect a very, very open, real, explicit, clear level of, of information and speech. Beautiful.
0: Vicky. I've heard this before that sometimes women go to lectures and a fabulous speaker comes to town. And like you said before, they come out all inspired. However, I've heard that often women come out of these lectures feeling like the onus is on them, that... Um, that making intimacy work is on the woman and that's a very heavy thing it's a Mm two-way street the men also learn these things or they should be learning and they also have a lot of work to do in this area it's a relationship (laughs) with two people so what is going on here why do people women feel this pressure like the onus is on them is it if if it is in what ways what do you mean the
1: onus I'm, I'm not following
0: like the the responsibility and the way the way they, the pressure is on them to make intimacy work. Uh, right. Okay. So yeah, I, I do often see this. And
1: 100%, you know, I feel like in a relationship of two people, it's not that I have to take 50% responsibility, and he has to take this 50% responsibility, I have to take 100% responsibility on my part. And will my my spouse take responsibility or not is nothing I have control over. Mm-hmm. So 100% Yes, the men should be learning. And at the end of the day, The correct approach in Torah is that it's a man's obligation to a woman. Now, of course, a woman is also obligated to be with her husband. He marries her for that reason, for the intimacy, for the closeness, for the oneness with a woman. Not only the physical, but also very much so the physical. You know, a woman says to her husband, I'll do everything for you. I'll love you to pieces. I'll cook. I'll clean everything. We just won't have marital intimacy. He shows her the door. It's not a marriage as far as Judaism is concerned. So there's an obligation of both. but. The prime obligation is on the man towards the woman to the extent that when a woman shows desire, a man has a chiyav to be with her. He has An a obligation. and obligation to be with her. Exactly, if he's able to. Of course, only if he's able to. And a woman should learn to expect from her husband what she knows he's able to give, not to set him up for failure. Um, but, um, you know, people often say, you know, it takes two to tango. It takes two to tango, that's true. But if you've ever watched tango dancing, if one dancer makes a move, The dancer that's dancing with them has no choice but to flow with Mm. them. So there's the leader, right? And the one who's leading and the one who follows. So sometimes your husband is leading and you're following. Sometimes you're leading and he's following. But the minute you make a shift in the dynamic, then by definition, the dynamic will shift. That's why... There is so much power that we have as women. Now, not in the sense that we're the only ones who who, who are doing the hard work, you no, know, but in the sense that when you learn your correct position vis-a-vis your husband in the relationship, and I'm talking here also energetically, yeah, everything shifts.
0: I because love when, it. Because
1: when you know your feminine place, you automatically allow your husband to be masculine. Okay, so the responsibility that we have is not to okay, so I'll do 50% of the work and the rest my husband will do, but rather to take 100% responsibility on learning to be that woman. And when you become that woman, there's no guarantee, but there's there's a bigger chance that your husband will become that man. Now, unfortunately, in some relationships, when the woman does finally shift the dynamic what ends up happening is the marriage falls apart, but very often that's a blessing in disguise because this was a marriage that was going to break apart at some point anyway, mm. and both them are suffering. So when women say, "Well, she shifted the dynamic and look, they got divorced at the end," well, it's very sad, and and, and in Judaism we mourn, you know, when when people get divorced, it's sad. Mitzvech married I love the most, the mizvech cries, but. There is space in Judaism for divorce, 100%. And sometimes that's the right move and that's the right thing. A person should not stay in a marriage that's, God forbid, abusive and and is going to harm them, you know, physically or whatever in any way. So the shift in dynamic is what we need to do. That's our responsibility. And what will happen in most cases, yes, the husband will follow and he will naturally grow into that masculine, you know, his masculine place as the man in the relationship. But again, there's no, there's no guarantee. I love it. it. A woman definitely, can, if she comes home very inspired from such a sheer, she could say, look, I learned this. This is so new. Like, I've never heard anything like this before. Maybe we're just, we have such misconceptions. Maybe we could learn this together. Together. Maybe we could buy a book and learn Bechavruta. Maybe you can go speak to a Rebbe or a mentor. Maybe, you know, you never got the you know correct Hadracha, and that's why you have so much guilt and shame around this issue. And, and that's like the, the redemption of their marital intimacy, you know? So that can also just very often a woman asks, Asking her husband to do something for the sake of their happiness together is very, very good. It just a woman has to be careful because especially in marital intimacy, to a large extent, that's how a man measures his success as the man in the marriage. Do I make my wife happy? And most important, do I make her happy in the bedroom? So when a woman comes to her husband and says, "Hmm, by the way, uh, uh, I really haven't ever enjoyed myself in 11 years. in case this so maybe you should go for help. No, that's not going to work. But if a woman comes with that's where the feminine wisdom comes in and together, I want to do this for you and you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So then the husband will hopefully follow that lead and also take responsibility to do what he can to make the marriage better.
0: Peggy, you mentioned you're the mother of kids and you mentioned your parents before. How can we ensure that our children are comfortable with their own sexuality and develop a healthy attitude towards this area of their lives? As we said before, this is Torah. This is the way Hashem made us. Um, what do we need to be doing as parents? So, you know, it's interesting
1: that you ask. I, I love this question because um, um, one of the bonuses actually that I offer with, with the course that I, that, I, that I have is called... How do I talk to my kids about intimacy? How do I talk about it to myself? Okay, that's the title. Mm-hmm. Because how we talk to our children is first and foremost how we talk to ourselves about it. So the first place to start is, again, back to between me, myself, and I. If I have a positive attitude, and I'm always growing in my positive attitude and growing more and more comfortable with myself as a woman, with my body, with my changing body, right? With the gray hairs that I now have and the stretch marks and the, you know, the flab, right? Right. Or barfishing women having, you know, growing older and having children. The more I learn to love that and the more I learn to be okay and accept pleasure in my life, the more comfortable I am with sexuality, the more by osmosis, I'll give it over. And that's why when mothers ask, Me, what should I say to my daughter who asks me X, Y, and Z? I say, You know, something, you know, dear, I could give you a script. It's not going to work because you can't just repeat words. Your daughter is going to sense if you're genuine or not. So you've got to first do your inner work and then you will know on your own, you'll have your own words. Because I believe that every mother is given the godly intuition to know her child and know what's right for each and every child. We just have to trust ourselves, which is another thing that society has taken away from us that trust of just trusting yourself, you know? So that's why I'm very, very passionate about empowering mothers to do the work themselves and then giving some guidelines on how to give it over to their child. So first of all, growing and learning and making it really a a goal for, you know, you you, you know, you're listening to this podcast today, make it a goal for the next year. This is something you want to work on. You want to grow comfortable in your role as a Jewish woman, in your femininity, in your sexuality, and that will by osmosis influence your child. And um, another thing, not to be. Not to be apologetic. Very often, we think that if little kids ask us about marital intimacy and the how-to's, so we start like getting all apologetic. Well, um, you see, Adam uh, Harishon, blah, blah blah blah. We start going, right? <laughs> and we feel like we have to like apologize that this is how Nebuch you were born into the world through such an action. God makes no mistakes. There's nothing to be apologetic about. This is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. Like I show my children, I take two puzzle pieces. You know like they have those like spelling games for like taught you know for tasks yeah. like an a and then like an airplane uh-huh. so i take those two puzzle pieces and i see see these these two pieces when we connect them together it's like a whole picture that's that's the way god made a man and a woman and you know use your imagination you know the body parts it's exactly the same thing a man and a woman are whole ima and abba are one whole person you see us as two we're really one you you know my daughter abigail you're 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 only a half, half. You're you're gonna emir get married one day. You're gonna become whole. And then I say to my son and you, you're, you know, you're gonna become whole one day. And 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 no apologetics. There's nothing to apologize about. God made no mistakes. Now, of course, to impress upon him that this is something very modest, and because it's so powerful and so beautiful, that's why out there in the world it's so misused. Because there's so much confusion in the world, is is starving for for that wholeness, that that iman abba. We're so lucky that we have that, and so many people don't have that. So that's why we see it misused, and we we seem to look at you know look down on. And, and you'll hear people make remarks. I never, ever make remarks to my kids. Ew, disgusting or anything. Like, and nothing, nothing. Not, even if they see something and we're walking down the street, I don't say, ew, you know, we just keep on walking. And if a kid will make a remark, i will say, this is beautiful. It's just not the right time and place. Not, not between the right people, you know? Right. So no apologetics. God knew exactly what he was doing. And the most important thing, yeah, the most important thing is to listen to your children. Listen more than talk because they're only going to come to you with their questions If you listen, if they sense that you're uncomfortable and that you're not going to even listen, then they're going to find those answers somewhere else. And unfortunately today, it's very, very easy to find answers somewhere else. And the answers that they're going to find are not going to be good answers. And you don't want them finding those answers. You want them first hearing it from you in the purest way possible. So when I say listen more than talk, when your kid walks in the door, you know, we're all programmed and taught this, like when your kid walks in the door, ask them, how was their day? What's going on? (laughs) And we bombard them with questions because we've got to be a good mom. (laughs) Don't no, anything. I've never done that. <laughs> Good. Okay, so don't. Just let them walk in and say, hey, honey. Quiet, silence, and make yourself energetically very available. Make this like imaginary space that you invite your child into, and they're going to start talking. And for the first 10 minutes, they're not going to say anything very meaningful. But then after 10 minutes, they'll say, oh, and by the way, I was sent to the principal today. Mm-hmm. You know? And when you listen to that child, and they know that they could come to you and say that they got sent to the principal today when they were seven or eight, so when they're eleven, they'll come to you and say, "Hey, I think I'm in love with the next door neighbor," <laughs> or I, you know, so true. Let's, you know, or when they're nine or ten, what's what's a period, right? Or mommy, what are those? What are those little diapers that you have in the cabinet, right? right. <laughs> they ask, you know, or badika cloths. My kids think right. that badika cloths are makeup, you know, for makeup removing, like on Motzay Apartments. It's like, mommy, where are those makeup remover white things that you <laughs> use? You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> So, so just listen, listen, listen. And the more you listen, the more they'll talk. And once they talk, they'll ask you their questions. And once they ask you their questions, then, then you have a chance of answering them. And it's very important to take advantage of teachable moments. Moments will come up. You don't have to... Schedule the talk. Yeah. Okay, son, hey, it's time to have the talk. There's a joke. And then the kid turns around to dad and says, yes, dad, what would you like to know, right? So kids today know way more than we'd like them to know. It's not about scheduling the talk. It's about finding opportunities from the time they're little to plant little seeds. It starts when they're two and they start exploring themselves in the bathtub. When you come home with a new baby boy and you have three girls and they look at his diaper, they're like, mommy, what's that, right? right? It starts when they're very, very little. It starts with them sensing that you're so comfortable breastfeeding your own baby and you feel beautiful when you're pregnant. That's where it starts. And as they grow older, finding those teachable moments when they ask something, they make a remark, they you know, and just sense that that's a good moment to just come in and teach something and teach it very pleasantly, very mad, very matter of fact. Always, always, always tell the truth. Even if your kid asks a very, very explicit question that you're not quite ready to share with them, always, always say the truth, because if ever you lie to them, they're going to find out sooner rather than later that you lied and then you broke trust. And trust is something that is very, very hard to build up again, especially between a mother and child. So never, ever lie. Always say the truth. And only say what the kid wants to hear, what the Mm -hmm. kid needs to hear. And this is, I think, something that, you know, often we can make a mistake. I'm myself included. I I confess of definitely making this mistake too many times where a kid asks us a question. So we get nervous. So, like, this, like nervous energy is running through our body. And we, like, we start talking, 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 talking. And, like, the kid doesn't need so much. It's like the kid says to mommy, mommy, where do I come from? And the mommy starts explaining, you know, all about sexuality and the kids like mommy do I come from Arizona or from Los Angeles right. <laughs> where did I what's the kid really asking what is the kid really asking and I have many examples I could think of just in my own life where you know I thought for sure the kid is going to ask for more information so wait so mommy after that egg goes into my rechem and then I get my period around bas mitzvah so like how do I become pregnant one day so that kid doesn't necessarily need a whole explanation all they maybe need to hear is it needs special. It needs a you know, special liquid that makes that baby that makes that um, that egg into a baby. And I said that to my daughter and that was fine. Nothing. She didn't ask me another question. A few days later, she said, Mommy, and where does that come from? I said, it comes from the Abba. OK, that was she didn't need more. Now, right. do I know that in a month from now, she's not going to ask more? She might. That's OK. She can come back and ask. Right. So always just give your child bite sized pieces and don't be hysterical just give your child what they're asking and another one don't be afraid to say darling you asked a great question and I know the answer and I want to give you the answer but I want to give you the answer in a way that'll be good for you so I need to think about how to answer you I'm so glad you asked Amir Tashem in a day or two maybe we'll go for ice cream or something and I'll give you an answer
0: you know that's you don't like, I'm glad answer on the spot Sorry, sorry, I cut you off. But I'm glad you mentioned that because that's happened to me, especially in situations where you have younger siblings around. And, you know, the younger siblings are around and the older kid feels comfortable at that moment to ask the question. And it's a good question. And like you said, we have to address it. So I've had the situation where I've had to say that that is a great question. And I have an answer for you. And I want us to discuss this. But right. I think it's for your age, not for the younger kids. The, how, how we make some time tonight to chat or maybe tomorrow during carpool? Exactly. At the time I'm taking you to the dentist, we're going to talk about it. And then I make it a exactly. point. You know,
1: and a great a great parable for that is, when a little baby is born, all they drink is breast milk or, you know, they get a bottle. And then right. when they get a little older, we give them fruit and then we add vegetables and then we add grains. And then eventually the last thing we give them is meat because only by the time they're whatever, two or three or whatever, their their system is mature enough to digest, to chew, you know, to chew the meat. So the same thing. I say to my children, information is like food. You have to be able to process it. Yeah. And if I would give meat to a baby, they would choke, right? right. So I want to give you you know, I want to mash up the fruit for you. I want to give you mashed, you know, mashed bananas because, you know, I, I'm not saying this to the child. I'm saying this to the mother to understand, Right. you know, you're giving the same information. You're just giving it in a way that's palatable to the child that age. And there's nothing wrong with saying to the child, you know, you have a great question and I want to answer you in a way that will be good for your
0: system. Right. And you can- as long as it's always the truth, like you said before, as yeah, long as it's never. always MS and they can always trust you, then you're good, beautiful. Exactly. Biggie, any pushback from your community or your family members? Because you've embarked on this beautiful work, but it could be considered a little revolutionary. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So first of all, I am
1: so blessed. I have a husband who supports me beyond 100%. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. I have parents and in-laws and and brothers and sisters, my whole entire family is so supportive. In fact, my sister-in-laws are like my biggest cheerleaders. They were the first ones to do my course and they they send me all the time, you know, more women. And and I even did like a whole campaign in South Africa. That was due to my my, my, my dear sister-in-law who lives in, in South Africa. Wow. So they are my biggest support system. Um I have a Rav who gives me, uh, you know, who who, who who guides who guides me and gives me back. And I actually, I'm very honored to say that I was the college teacher of two of his daughters. And he also, you know, in my moments of weakness where I say, forget it, I can't do this. This is too big for me. He's like, No, 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 you mustn't stop. So that's an amazing support system to have. But yes, I've definitely received some emails, you know, what do you think you're doing? This is not right, this is not the way intimacy should be given over. And yeah, I'm the first one to say, and this is how I start all my webinars, I'm the first one to say, that what I'm doing is not l'chatkhila. the right way to do this is between mother and daughter. And if not mother and daughter, then mentor and mentee sitting on a couch over a cup of tea, schmoozing in the kitchen, the way it was done in the olden days. Yeah. That is the right way to do it. But unfortunately we are in a situation where cholesterol Yisrael is drowning and there's so much confusion and there's so much pain and so many homes are breaking up that I don't know how I could not do what I'm doing. Yeah, we so, live yeah, in Galas
0: and, and Gallus, the, the darkness of this gallus merits very strong light, period. Just yeah, different yeah. methods of bringing light.
1: Exactly. And all throughout history, we've seen courageous men and women who did things that were revolutionary. Like, right. for instance, taking the learning system from the home out into a school, which mm-hmm. saved cholesterol, right? So so there are many things throughout history that were very, very controversial, but today we realize, I mean, even just writing down Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabal Peh, right? Correct. right. <laughs> it's written because Klaishal needed to be saved. So I'm not doing this on my own. I have the guidance of a Rav And I even spoke to a Cheshavar Ebiton in America who also addresses intimacy very openly. And she also gave me a tremendous amount of encouragement. And yes, you know, I definitely feel like maybe I lost a few friends over this. I think mainly because they were more concerned about me than... Um, you know, they just like, they thought I had to be, you know, maybe maybe be careful and protect myself. And I, you know, I'm not so sure that they see it in such good light. And I've definitely gotten some emails and, you know, even one person who I'm very, very close with, and I learned a lot of these things from, um, you know, doesn't see what I'm doing in such a positive light. And I do definitely feel like I've sacrificed, I've definitely sacrificed. And, you know, someone said once, if you're loved by all, then you're loved by none. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I can either be egotistic and play it safe and want everyone to like me, or I could do what's right and unfortunately lose some, you know, friendships or relationships along the way. And sadly, I'm sad about it, but it's a sacrifice that I'm willing to make because I know that it's not on a personal level. It's just that they have a different opinion, which is fine because there has to be balance in Claudia's Yisrael, right? So there have there had there have to be those people who are at the extreme of, we mustn't talk about it. It needs to be so private. And so it's me. Nice. And there's the other extreme of like, no, 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 we have to go out and teach whoever is willing to listen. So in order for there to be that balance, there has to be both extremes right. and, and that's okay. I know it's not personal, but yes, it's definitely, it's definitely been a, a journey. And, you know, I often think of maybe doing, you know, doing it also in Hebrew, but that for now, I'm like still a little, you know, keeping it a low profile and just doing it in English to the more public, um, you know, public uh, world out there. So just, you know, because I live here in Arsistral and, you know, I still need to get my kids into school and everything. So <laughs> I do I do try to, you know, I do try to be wise and, and be careful how I do it because I, and, and I do, and I do respect the opposition. I really, really do understand them. You know, even in my community where internet is very taboo, it's like, no, you don't have internet. Or if you do, then you only have email. So it's like you said it's revolutionary and I'm aware of that and I'm willing I'm willing to pay the price I really really am because I know I know that this is my calling in life. Good
0: for you. Good for you, Faggy. Amazing. Faggy, let's do a little bit of JLP fill in the blanks and this is the part okay. of the show where I ask you an open-ended sent open-ended sentence and you answer it with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay? Okay. All right, I'm Faggy Pollock and I feel most spiritual when.
1: Okay, so I'm going to share from the more, you know, the more public realm of my life where, you know, ve- feel comfortable sharing, I feel most spiritual when I, I sit by the beach, I try to go once a week on Friday to the beach, just with nice. myself. And when I just sit there by myself, no phone, no laptop, and I just, you know, I just feel so connected, just connected, connected, just so whole. So that's, that's my definitely my highlight.
0: I just something that came in my Facebook feed recently, some study about people who live by the beach are healthier in so many numerous ways that i longed for my days growing up in the beach (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) there's something about water and being close to water i will forever miss it my favorite mitzvah or one that i connect with the most is
1: okay so this is going to sound so cliche but it's the truth mikvah that moment when i'm in the water and it's like it's like as if i go back to being like a baby Mm -hmm. in my mother's womb. like that's for me I just, ah, oh, I, I look forward to it all the time.
0: <laughs> wow. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is?
1: Uh, the, the Simchas Torah, and we had a yeshiva right next door for, for Bali chuva, a yeshiva called Machon Shlomo, mm-hmm. that my parents were very involved in, and I, like, basically grew up there. And just remembering those, when I was a young girl, the Simchas Torah there is something that I'll never, it's, like, etched in
0: my, in my memory forever. Beautiful. Something I wished I had learned about Judaism growing up is
1: a more accurate understanding of what Yeres Shemaim really means. It's not God, you know, waiting for you when you turn the corner to punish you, it's not God waving his finger at you. Just a more accurate perception of, of that awe and that presence of God and just everything that Yeres Shemaim really is. That I often feel a lot of pain for. Like, I wish I had a more accurate understanding of that growing up.
0: Right, and I guess we, as we mature and become adults and develop our own relationship with God and with Judaism, we we hopefully we develop that. But I I see I see what you're saying, I definitely see it. When I give tzedakah, I like to give to
1: family members when family members are in need. So that's usually you know, and then I also I really have like a very a lot of hakaras satov to hatsala because I myself was you know, I had a whole story where I nearly like a. <laughs> I took, um, mm. I took uh, medicine that I was um, allergic to and I had a bad reaction and oh. I almost died. It was a very scary experience and then Hatsala came. So I really have a lot of them. So I also, when I have extra, I like giving to them and also to an organization that helps women get pregnant.
0: Oh, wow. Amazing. Finally, I'm Fagi Pollack and today I'm most grateful for
1: how at every intersection along this journey that I've been on, I always pray that God should send me um, Torah sources so that everything that I'm learning and everything that I'm that I'm being exposed to I could I, I see clearly that it's in Torah and every step of the way God has sent me whether it's a lecture or a book mainly books mainly Svarim so I have eternal eternal Hakara Sato for that.
0: I love it. Feige, you're such an inspiration and just so, this has been so enlightening and so informative. How can we learn more? How can we be part of your webinars? Where do we join your mailing list? Okay, so... um...
1: I occasionally offer a free webinar, which I advertise, and I also advertise it to the women on my list, mm-hmm. and there'll be a link that women can join my mailing list so that they can be notified, and besides for the free webinar, where I share the foundation of how Torah views intimacy, what we did today is like barely, barely, barely scratching the surface, right, right. so it's like a whole hour of beautiful, um, concentrated divry Torah, so besides for that, I also send out occasional emails and little videos and just, you know, inspiration for for building this part of our marriage and Beautiful. you know of course is invited to come along and bring a friend and um or women can just contact me directly if women have questions or anything they can contact me at faggy f-a-i-g-y at unblockyourway.co.il faggy at unblockyourway.co.il and they can join me
0: there. Beautiful. Absolutely. And I'll have I'll have the link um, on the on the show notes. And I'll also have the link for anybody who wants to actually join your online course on um, block your way to oneness. We'll have that available for everybody as well. Figgy, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for this incredible opportunity. It, this was so special for me. And I really pray that a lot of beauty and light comes from this talk to the many precious women of Klai Yisrael.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Fagi. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode,
1: please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love.